This morning begins a new series of studies for these Advent Sundays during December. And we are turning this morning to the Gospel of John, and turning to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And you'll find it on page 1645, 1645 of the Church Bible. And John is writing as an older man, probably in his late 80s or early 90s. And he starts his gospel in a very unusual fashion, and we're about to hear more about it in our study this morning. And he starts with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. It is just full of joy and fun. And if over the next few weeks you are invited to a Christmas party, I imagine at some point in the course of that party you will be introduced to someone for the first time and you naturally will enter into casual conversation and ask them where do they live and what do they do for a living. And if it's someone who is new to Greenville, inevitably you're going to say, where do you come from? Now, for obvious reasons, I get that almost every day, but I've, you kind of learn to deal with it. Where do you come from? John begins his gospel in a radically different manner from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And as he is introducing Jesus to his readers in the first century and to us in the 21st century, he goes to great lengths to carefully write and construct and hone his language because he is telling us exactly where Jesus has come from. And that's what he's doing in these first five verses as we look at them this morning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, as most of you know, are called the synoptic gospels. In other words, they're seen through the same optic. For the most part, they cover the life of Jesus in a similar chronology. Teachings are similar, parables identical for the most part. As the gospel story unfolds, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, very similar. But John, not so much. Very different. Matthew, when he begins to talk of the nativity of Christ, in chapter 1 he writes, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And when Mark is writing, Mark writes the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then Mark quotes Isaiah from the Old Testament. And when Luke is writing about the birth of Christ, he writes, in the time of Herod, 
king of Judea. And Luke does what Luke always does. He sets it in a historical context. But in John's gospel, Mary and Joseph is not mentioned in those early chapters. There's no manger. There's no Christ child in swaddling clothes. There's no shepherds. There's no angels, no wise men. Herod isn't mentioned. And John begins radically different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke begin with nativity. And John begins with eternity. Notice what he writes. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, why does John begin this way? What is it that's captured his imagination? What is it he's seeking to draw to our attention? Each of the gospel writers in those opening verses seek to invite you to come into all that they're about to write. But John, in spectacular fashion, wants us to grasp the enormity, the profundity, the immensity of what he is writing. And he writes, in the beginning was the Word. And in the first century, those with a Jewish background would immediately have stopped and thought, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on here? Because John begins the same way as the book of Genesis. Genesis starts, in the beginning God created. And here is John seeking to write in a similar fashion as the author of Genesis, in the beginning was the Word. Now remember, the comprehensive nature of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. He hovered over that which was dark and formless and void, and he said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke into creation, our very existence. He spoke into creation. And in speaking, those were words of creative, sustaining, transformative power that brought creation out of darkness. And John is intentionally writing, as I said moments ago, as an older man in his late 80s, early 90s, thinking and planning and preparing, I imagine, for some time before he ever wrote his gospel. I thought, what can I say that will reflect the enormity of the birth of Christ? And the only thing that John can think of that comes remotely close is Genesis. In the beginning, God created here is John, centuries later, saying, if you have grasped 
the enormity of what happened. Please understand this, that what you're about to read about is every bit as important as the first creation. Because here is one who was eternal in his being, very God of very God, born in a manger. In order to recreate, in order to speak into the darkness of the heart and mind and soul of humanity and to bring out of that darkness life and light and a relationship with God that was deep and abiding and eternal. That's what John is doing. That's where he's heading. And it's no wonder he then writes, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Please understand what John is saying. Don't miss it. John is clearly saying, if you go back to before eternity began, Christ was there with God because He was God. John's original readers, those with a Jewish background, alarm bells would be going off in their minds, and they're thinking, wait a minute, there is only one God, and John, you're trying to tell us that this Jesus is very God of very God, the same as the Father? And John is saying, that's exactly what he's saying. And throughout his gospel, John gives the rights, the privileges, the authorities, the attributes only given to the Father. He applies to Jesus because he wants his readers to understand what was taking place. That God himself, the Word of God, the self-expression of God, the very personification of God was born into our world. That's why John is writing the way he's writing. He wants us to grasp it, to understand that Jesus was not only eternal in nature and being, but he was so much more than that. And it's almost as if John is saying, when you're reading these words, slow down. Don't rush this. Take your time. Pause. Ponder. Understand the enormity of what is happening here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and here it comes, and the Word was God. Not simply eternal in nature, but so much more. And John, throughout the rest of his gospel, takes it a step further. But even here, we see echoes of the main themes and motifs that John is about to unpack for us. And when he says, and the word was God. Please understand this. John is saying that he who spoke and created the known universe 
comes down to earth, born as a baby. He who is from everlasting to everlasting. He who is not only infinite, but eternal and unchanging in his being and power and holiness and wisdom and righteousness and love and grace. Very God of very God, co-equal with the Father, co-eternal with God, has come into this world to bring redemption to humanity. It's no wonder, no wonder the writer of the Christmas hymn was able to say, veiled in flesh the Godhead see Hail the incarnate deity, born as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. That's why John is excited. That's why he can't wait to write the rest of his gospel. That's why he's seeking to draw us in so we can get a sense of the grandeur and majesty and wonder and glory of the Christmas season. That's why John begins the way he does. Light years away from Bethlehem and Nazareth and the hill country of Judea, the other gospels focus, as we said minutes ago, on nativity. But John, intentionally pushing the very frontiers of our minds, moves us to eternity and the infinite love of God. Sometimes I will hear folks talk about the danger of the commercialization of Christmas. And in a very real sense, they're right. But we also need to guard against not so much the commercialization, but the sentimentalization of Christmas, where we focus simply on a baby. Now, any baby born into a family is a time for great celebration and wonder and joy and thanksgiving. And how wonderful that is when you pick up a child or a grandchild for the first time and you look at that little face and you say, yeah, he's got his dad's nose and his mum's eyes and he looks the image of his brother at that stage. And of course it should be celebrated. But John is not simply saying we celebrate the birth of a baby. John is saying we get lost in wonder, love, and praise at the birth of a Messiah. That's what John is writing. That's why he's excited. Are you getting a sense why Christmas is my favorite time of the year? Because that's Advent. No wonder we come with expectation and anticipation. It's wrapped up here for us. And then John takes us a step further. And he writes in verse 3, Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. 
John carries these themes throughout his gospel. And when you come to chapter 11, you read the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we mentioned this not so long ago, so please forgive me if I'm being a little redundant this morning. Do you remember the situation? Here were three of Jesus' closest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus had passed away and had been dead for three days by the time Jesus got there. And when Jesus visits, one of Lazarus' sisters runs to him and says, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. And Jesus enters into a conversation with her about the resurrection, and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And she responds, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ who has come into this world. And John does what he often does. He highlights a miracle, and then that miracle points as a sign to something else. In the case of Lazarus, it points to the deity of Christ, who then stands outside the tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Almost like Genesis created life out of that which was dark and formless and void. Here is a man who's been dead for three days. Dead. And Jesus speaks and brings life in all its fullness and all of its wonder. And Lazarus rises back from the dead. That's what John is talking about here. That's why he writes, through him all things were made, and in him was life. And John says again and again throughout his gospel, when Jesus preaches, when he's in front of people, and he explains the gospel, and he outlines the love and grace and wonder of God. No wonder it impacts and transforms and brings life and light and transformation. That's how powerful it is. In him was life. And then John writes those strange words, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Why? Why would anyone reject the love and grace and goodness and mercy of God? Why would anyone do that? Why would they turn away and ignore the offer of life, not only here and now, but for eternity? How is that even remotely possible? And in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, we heard it earlier in their service today. When Isaiah is writing and he says, the people living in great darkness have seen a great light. 800 years before the birth of Christ, looking forward to him coming. And when John writes about the darkness has not understood it, John is doing two things. He's gone to great pains to explain the wonder and the joy and the incarnation. 
and he wants us to grasp it. And now he's also introducing that note of darkness. And if he wants us to grasp the enormity of the incarnation, he's wanting us also to grasp the enormity of the darkness. How often have we said on Sunday mornings that the temptation for us is to think that sin is something we do. And it is. That's exactly what it is. But we also forget what sin does to us. It hardens the heart. It brings with it cynicism, apathy, indifference. It begins to push you away from the things of God. And it is deceptive and addictive and enslaving and it brings spiritual darkness with it. That's what John is talking about. Pick up any newspaper in the nation, watch any news bulletin, and you will hear reports of another senseless attack with gun violence. You'll hear of domestic violence in the home, the place where it's supposed to be the safest place to raise children and develop a marriage. And yet domestic violence never seems to end. You see it in incest and human trafficking and drug and alcohol abuse that blights and debilitates and cripples lives and individuals and families and entire communities at times. That's the darkness John is talking about. And he's saying there is a better way, a fuller, a richer, greater way when we respond to the love and grace and goodness of God. That's why he begins. The Word was God. And in Him was life. And the darkness did not understand it because the first thing darkness does, spiritually speaking, is to draw you away from the light, is to turn you into someone who is skeptical of it and cynical towards it. And that Christianity, it's just, it's judgmental and narrow-minded and it's archaic and nobody believes that today. And it would rather shift the spotlight from itself and put it on anyone or anything. But here in this Christmas season, he's come as the light of the world. Now you may be sitting there this morning saying, Richard, I'm with you. Thank you. I think I understand the opening couple of verses of John a little better than I did 25 minutes or so ago, and I think I'm there. But Richard, please, please don't do what pastors do every Christmas. Please don't give us one more thing to do. Okay? I hear you, and I promise I will not give you something else to do. But here is what I would like you to do. I'd like you to step back 
from the hustle and bustle of the schedule. I'd like you to step back from even trying to have the best Christmas tree in the neighborhood. I'd like you to step back from sending 300 Christmas cards and cut it back to 100 and then see if anyone notices. Reduce the schedule. Enjoy the Christmas season. Get lost in the wonder of His redemption. Give yourself time to remember who He is, transcendent in majesty and imminent in grace. Enjoy the season. Go back over John's opening words again and spend this time with Him. And I suspect when Christmas Day comes, you will be able to say and enjoy it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I am so thankful for this Christmas season. That's how Christmas ought to be. Maybe we need to challenge each other along those lines. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture from John's Gospel. Enable us, please, in this Christmas season to slow down, to rest in you, and to understand again the magnitude, the enormity of your love for us. Enable us to rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.